you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. These scripture texts uh, are, are kind of picked each week through a process where we appeal to the lectionary. The lectionary is this um, uh, ecumenical resource that kind of wants us to look across the whole of scripture in a three-year cycle, and it uh, covers most of the Bible in, in kind of broad swaths. And some weeks it gives us texts that are like, Jesus is just the best. He's wonderful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And then some weeks you get texts that are like, and God is going to burn them all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, our, our scriptures are interesting. They're, they're a little bit dangerous. Um, I, could, I could ask you right now to pull the Bible from the, the seat back in front of you, pull it out and flip to a page. And I'd suggest there's a good chance you could make something on that page say something we don't want it to say if you just read that page. Um, the church has used scripture uh, to endorse lots of bad things uh, throughout its ages. Those of you who remember your history classes in school, we should listen to our teachers. Uh, the church has done lots of bad things using particular parts of scriptures. Um, we can make it say what we want. I could flip in here today and tell you about a vengeful, wrathful God who wants nothing more than to purge every bit of sin out of you and will do it through a fire. I can uh, tell you that uh, Jesus was just wrong. Jesus said that there would be people who didn't die before he came back. Um, the Shakers used the text to say, we shouldn't have sex and have kids because Jesus said he's coming back now. I can flip you to where Paul's talking to Timothy and say, every time you have a stomachache, drink some wine. You like that one? Okay, I... I Y'all said it and laughed at it, not me. <laughs> um, these texts are meant to be read together within this broader living word of God, this gift to us that has a context, both a literary context and a cultural context. Um, we, we are invited to, to read the whole of, um, of these texts and to, to see what God would say across the canon I was tempted uh, to start in the back today and walk my way forward, telling the biblical narrative from Genesis 1 uh, to today. I've done this a few times. Kathy, is Kathy Edwards is shaking her head no and suggesting that was a bad idea and I should not do that today. Uh, but it, it, it is my heart's passion that we know that the, the context of Scripture. Out there on the bookshelf, on your way out, there are multiple copies of the story of God, the story of us. This book that helps us see how God's narrative fits together and how we're part of it. Mm -hmm. We never turn to Scripture and find that it's uh, unrewarding or that God's grace is not there, but I would suggest that the more we, uh, we turn to it and the more we grasp this whole context, the more we understand God. Um, our text today needed some context. Um, the first one seems to suggest... Um, uh, a real clear uh, picture of the Old Testament God 
who is for Israel and the righteous Israel people, not, not even all of Israel, but the ones who are righteous, and against everybody else. The righteous will experience blessing and everyone else will burn. The New Testament lesson from uh, 2 Thessalonians seems to suggest if you've got somebody in your midst who isn't working, do not help them. They're freeloaders and you shouldn't take care of them. And in the gospel, yeah, there's that gospel lesson there about getting thrown in prison and getting martyred and all these things are going to happen and that the end is at hand and, and it's coming right now and here we are 2,000 years later and that isn't quite there yet. This is a week where the scriptures, Brad, Brad uh, Rudolph, who's not here today, has given me a hard time since we started reading all of the lectionary texts because we don't preach on all the lectionary texts every week, right? I don't wrap all three of them up in a neat bow to make us feel good, but uh, the, the church has believed them to be a blessing. And so I came to these this week and I was like, Whew, I'm glad we're in the letters one uh, and not in the Old Testament lesson uh, because I have to go back and talk about uh, a God who is uh, both wrathful and loving, a God who does hate sin but absolutely loves humanity, a God who uh, wants the best for us and in that um, um, makes covenant with us. And it's a whole different sermon and yet it's also this sermon uh, we're in this series of the letters, and we're looking at Second uh, Thessalonians, and, and, and this is a letter that needs context. Uh, the text can easily sound like, if they're unemployed in your life, if there's unemployed in your church, they're lazy, don't worry about them. Second Thessalonians is a distinctly different letter than First Corinthians or Timothy or Romans. They're each in their own context, and they're each in their own uh, geography. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, which is a church in Asia Minor, sitting out on a major trade route. It is a bigger city. It is a worldly city. It is a bustling city with a young church. This church is not old. You know, it's not got 2,000 years of history. It's not got uh, 230 something like we do. It doesn't have 15 or whatever Andover has. This is a new church who's trying to figure out how to be the church in the midst of Thessalonica. And uh, if we just look at this passage, it seems pretty damning of those who don't work. Uh, but the broader context of the passage is that there are some folks who have heard the Jesus story and then seen the Jesus people. And the, the early Christians especially were known for life in common. Uh, we, we hear this in the book of Acts, that they're going to take those things that are theirs and they're going to sell them. They're going to say, why would we have accumulated assets when there's others that are that are struggling, and so they'd hold things in common, and they'd care for each other, and they'd go, well, you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. And it seems that the church in Thessalonica took this seriously, and, and when people in, in struggle came in their midst, they would feed them and care for them and, and clothe them and provide them homes, that, that, that they would become the social safety net for anybody who was part of the church. As is prescribed in other places of Scripture, right? And Paul goes, okay. I'm going to write one of these Friday emails to you, um, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. Don't misread what I'm saying. Uh, this is a very particular case, people of Thessalonica. There are some people in your midst who are mooching off of you, who have misunderstood what it means to labor for Christ, to, to give them whole selves uh, to uh, this, this church. And so that instead of being part of the ones who are caring, they're the ones who are consuming and taking and, and squandering. And so for these people... Don't feed them. 
don't clothe them. Don't give them shelter, because this is an unkindness. This is giving them a gospel that is not the gospel. The gospel said take up your cross and deny yourself. The gospel says that you're going to have to give up something for the sake of the kingdom, and these people are just taking. And so for these very particular people, here's your lines. If we just read this and say the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God, there is no room for any kind of struggle. There is no room for folks who... Uh, who literally are on the margins. There's no room for the people that uh, the rest of Scripture paints as the people whose God's heart is after. If we just read this, it's clear. If somebody doesn't have a job, don't care for them. But the broader picture of Scripture is that God's heart is for those who are struggling. Jesus comes in Luke's Gospel and says his mission is to declare release to the captives, recovering inside of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to announce the good news was at hand, to, to be there for the poor and struggling. The Torah laws uh, make provisions to care for those who don't have food and don't have shelter. They make provisions for how you should take care of widows and orphans. They have rule after rule after rule for where you should care for people who can't care for themselves. Jesus' gospel talks about there are poor in your midst and, and to care for them. And in this eschatological judgment scene, uh, we're going to get there and people are going to say, oh Lord, oh Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was uh, without a home and you didn't shelter me. So we, we have to hold this intention and ask the question of context. Across the big swaths of Scripture, God regularly says, care for those on the margins, care for those who are struggling. Give up your capital assets to care for those who have none. This can go from selling all your possessions to giving up your extra tunic. But, but care for those who are struggling. And then Paul nuances it and says, care for those who are struggling, but not those who are mooching off of you. Care for those who are struggling, uh, but don't enable those who are going to break down the very structures of the church. Uh, there's an ancient book, in the, and it's called the Apostolic, Father, Apostolic Fathers. It's called the Didache, which literally means the teachings. And it's our earliest non-canonical text uh, bearing witness to how the early church put into practice the things they had read across the whole of Scripture. And uh, would you know that in the Didache, which is not a super long book, uh, they have uh, two ways, the, the, the way that leads to death and the way that leads to life. And, and in the way that leads to life, they deal with this very particular issue from Didache chapter 12. But to everyone who comes in the name of the Lord, I let them be welcomed. And then having tested him, you will know, that is, you will be able to distinguish whether he is true or false. If the one coming is a traveler, help him as much as you are able, but he shall not remain among you more than three days if he has need. And if he desires to stay with you being an artisan, let him work and let him earn his keep. And if he has no craft, Take this into consideration according to your understanding of how he shall live among you as Christians without being idle. And if he does not want to act in this way, he is a Christmonger. Beware of such as these. The earliest church invited their communities into, into places of discernment. So here are some good ways to think. If somebody comes in your community and for a few days they are there and they have need, absolutely provide it. But after three days, let's, let's start the work of discernment. Do they have a skill? And not everybody had a skill, especially amongst the Jewish Christians, because uh, if you were particularly good at Torah, your only skill was knowing the law. You, 
you might not have learned any craft. But let's say you failed out of rabbi school and you have a craft of fishing. Well, now if you're in this community after two or three days, start fishing. If you uh, were a woodsmith, after two or three days, it's time for you to start uh, making some crafts. Um, and if you have no skill, now's the time for you and the community to work together to figure out how you might be part of the, the mutual flourishing of this community, even with no skills that, that seem to uh, advance uh, the common good. This text requires a context. And I, I've struggled this week with, once we get to the context and say, okay, what do we do with that? I think it invites us to the question of how do we do the discerning work of ministry? There are a million missions partners out there. There are a million people struggling. We could take every bit of our budget today, walk into Lexington, give it away, and have not scratched the surface of the need in this county. We could... Um, partner up with every agency and fundraise as, as much as we could every single day, and we will not solve uh, hunger or homelessness. And so how do we do this work of discernment, especially in a world that is looking around and saying, like, what is, what is the good of the church anymore? Used to, the church was known for its good. We built hospitals and we built orphanages and we cared for, cared for folks. We, we have legacy problems with the United Methodist Children's Home because for for hundreds of years, or hundred years, we just funded the whole thing. The government didn't pay for anything. We just said, bring us these kids and we'll care for them. And the government has still going like, oh, cool. They'll, they'll pay for this and they'll take care of these kids. How do we do this discerning work? And I'd suggest uh, that it's more complicated than we think. It's more complicated than just give or just do or just this. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about just being a really dangerous word when we say just X, Y, or Z. Uh, two books that have been profoundly impactful for me are uh, When Helping Hurts and Toxic Charity. I'll send these links out this week in the weekly email. Uh, y'all know I'm a reader. I've read less since we had Parker. She has, she's made me less of a reader. But um, these books have been profoundly impactful because they ask us to be discerning actors and to say, what does it look like to instead work with people in building up their artisan craft to use this text, right? What does it look like to build up community? And what does it look like to care for those in her midst in a way that is uh, mutually flourishing and not just perpetuating something that's going to break down systems? But that sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? That sounds a lot harder than us writing the check. Um, and absolutely, there are checks that need to be written. Hear me, hear me. Uh, there are absolutely checks that need to be written. Um, Jan and the serve team back there are going, yes, there are absolutely checks that need to be written. Um, but there's this, this work as us as a discerning church, us as families, us as individuals to say, how, how do we live this out in a world that has so much need and has so much uh, struggle? I don't come with answers today. Uh, I come with more questions than I came to this text with. But I do know that it, it's an, an invitation uh, for thoughtfulness and an invitation for uh, seeking wisdom. It's an invitation for saying, uh, there are places uh, to give and places not to give. There are ways that honor God and honor the church in ways that don't. Um, and I think my greatest hope is that the Holy Spirit who uh, inspired the authors of Scripture continues to inspire the church and continues uh, to, to meet us in these moments where if we say, God, help us, uh, that the Spirit will actually help us. If we say, God, give us grace to go and be your holy people, God will actually give us grace to go and be a holy people. 
I hope that is your conviction as well, that in, in your belief that, that if you pray these prayers, God will actually do it. Um, I'd love you to go and pray these prayers. If we know that the poor are always going to be amongst us, if we know the struggle is always going to be there, what, what do we do? What are our next steps as a church? When we say that our understanding of discipleship is worship, grow, and serve. We figured out worship. I'm learning that there are some things we need to fix in worship, some, some things that people would like to maybe do a little differently. I'm learning. We've, we figured out grow a little bit. We got Sunday schools and covenant groups, Bible studies, and these things. But serve, uh, historically, and not just for us, but for a lot of churches, has existed as this thing over there where a team does it and we feel pretty good about it. Um, or we do it as individuals, and then uh, we don't say, hey, come alongside me and do this thing. Y'all, there are some people in here doing this CASA thing that I have just learned about, uh, and they need a bunch more of them. There are folks over here in recovery ministry doing things that they need help. Um, I want us to become a church that, that begins to ask, how is serve, how is care part of who we are, and, and how do we do it in a discerning way that isn't simply, let's fund the, fund the next thing, and let's fund the next thing, but let's also ask the questions of how we make it part of our discipleship for the flourishing of others and for our church. That's my prayer, and I hope it's yours. Amen? Let's pray. Holy and loving God, uh, you revealed yourself in scriptures uh, and chose to do it through people. Uh, you revealed yourself as complex and situational, as relational, and uh, as uh, one who responds to our actions. And so, Lord, your scriptures are not monolithic. Often we find uh, uh, conflicting uh, even directions, and so we must rely on your Spirit. Would your Spirit give uh, us, the people of Andover, a great insight into how we might uh, care, how we might uh, love, and how we might do it in a way that leads to the flourishing of, of your church and to of people? Lord, would you lavish us with grace that makes us a holy people who learn what it is to love you and to love our neighbor. For we know that as we learn to love you and love our neighbor, uh, we will see more clearly the hurt in our midst. Lord, would you, give, uh, would you give wisdom and vision to this church? From our kids up to our most elder seniors, would you give uh, dreams and longings that are only possible when you are involved in them. Lord, would you give us audacious hope? Would you give us confidence to share what we would dream and desire and what we believe that you uh, would call us to be part of? Lord, may we be a church who shows your face to the world. May we be a church who uh, goes forth in your spirit uh, to love and to care and to bear witness to you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.